Hi, my name is Susan Wu. I'm the uh, Senior Product Marketing Manager in Network Services, Network Security Business Unit. I actually handle Service Mesh, and prior to this I was at uh, CNABU for Kubernetes, and then many eons ago I worked at Docker and OpenSec and CloudSec. So actually I'm here to tell you a little bit about uh, implementing persistence in Kubernetes. It's not for the whole Kubernetes talk, because I only have 10 minutes. So there are a lot of sessions about Kubernetes that you can go to, a lot of Tanzu sessions. So this is only about implementing persistent storage. Um, so um, very quickly about the applications. Um, architectures are changing. I started my life at, in Java, so it's monolithic. The whole team, uh, I think 200 of us, all use the same IDE. Uh, we only check in code once a week and then we have peer review, and it was pretty much impossible to kind of dictate the type of architecture that you want to do. And it's a little bit unflexible. We used to use the waterfall method, so we would code, and then we would find something at the very, very end. And we've seen even showstopper bugs. But now, fast forward uh, 10 years, um, about 2000-ish time frame, many, many companies started adopting microservices, smaller teams, they get to choose their stack and also their favorite backends. All of it connected with the REST API. And so this is really changing. People can revise their application. They control that stack. They can iterate on their own intervals. Um, that's kind of uh, how it's happening. But in reality, not every application in the enterprise is in, the, in, is in microservice pattern. Uh, VMware, we still have quite a bit in Java. We still have some LAMP. But, but we started moving a lot of our customer-facing services like myvmware.com uh, to microservices. And so with that, with um, uh, moving the microservices is prompting the use of containers and moving to Kubernetes. We've been meeting a lot of customers and generally uh, they've been faced with similar problems before they adopted Kubernetes. They've had uh, failed applications in production um, they need a lot of lead time before they could deploy. And what was really common now that I'm in networking is they're looking for a common set of APIs to provision infrastructure, network infrastructure, and other, other infrastructure as part of even like a CI-CD pipeline. So just uh, for the product that I work on, NSX, it actually exposes the REST APIs, and you might be familiar, that actually you can actually um, um, provision like a distributed router or a VPN, all using the REST API. So there's some sessions here where some VMware engineers uh, coded uh, Python Django, including the NSX APIs, and then show how to provision, auto, uh, auto uh, provision the, um, the VPNs. And they also show uh, doing that same uh, cycle onto say VMware Cloud and also on-premise. And then they also use the same kind of pipeline technology to uh, seamlessly connect their security policies on-premise as well as uh, on the public cloud. So that's uh, what's happening. So on, the, on Kubernetes, why do you need persistent volume? Of course, uh, to run stateful application. If everything's stateless, you wouldn't even need to do that. And so Kubernetes itself actually has ways for you to write to a file system. So you can write to a container file system, but the problem with that is the container, when that dies, that file system's gone, the data's gone. And of course, you can write to a volume, and then it's, it's tied to the life of the pod. When the pod dies and restart it, you lose that data. 
So Kubernetes started out uh, including something called persistent volume, which actually survives um, uh, the life of a pod, a container, and even the node. It survives the life of a cluster itself. So how do you do, um, oh shoot. Okay, so stateless application, um, everything's configured separately. You use something called deployment, uh, which creates the replica sets. And then uh, the replica sets, let's say you chose three, uh, Kubernetes would check the state. If the state has fewer than three, it's meaning it has less than the desired state, Kubernetes would create that replica set for you. But the challenge is that it's, this is a um, kind of written to a uh, remote uh, storage. And if you have multiple containers and you uh, try to deploy persistence, then all the containers are talking to the same store, which is uh, not ideal. With stateful applications, you have, the, you have something called stateful sets. I think in the past, this was called pet sets in Kubernetes. Um, so this is uh, information that's stored locally by the application, and you have read-write access. It's uh, commonly known as pets. How this works is, um, let me switch to the next slide. How this works is actually it creates pods with its own names, and then a user would request a storage using something called um, persistent volume claim. And then um, what happens is, uh, then the per persistent volume is actually tied to a backend uh, storage. In the case of uh, vSphere, it's tied to a vSAN data store. So it's actually backed by a persistent volume. And then the users would request it uh, using the persistent volume claim. And then the same situation happens is if there's a, um, uh, if you ha have a desire for a certain number of pods and, and the state shows that it's uh, less than the desired, then Kubernetes would actually replace that pod for the pod that has failed or it's been evicted. And then actually it would actually associate that new pod with the appropriate resources that you've defined. And then uh, it's how it works is when you first, the storage administrator first um, backs up um, that Kubernetes with the type of backend storage. In the case of vSphere, it's actually block storage. And then the storage administrator or the container administrator uh, would define the storage classes and then expose that uh, to the users and to vSphere. And uh, that is my last slide, if you have any questions about persistent storage. We also have another session that's given by um, Gopala. Uh, he's a PM for um, vSAN storage about container native. And I think it's tomorrow morning. You can look for that. Uh, sure. I'm sorry? So in the case of vSphere, it's actually backed up with the VMDK and then uh, written to the vSAN uh, data store as a file system. And then of course backed up. So you back up the, this is a, a container running on a VM. So the information is backed up to the VMDK and that VMDK is actually mapped to the vSAN data store. And then, of course, you have uh, the real disk. Thank you for the question. Yeah. Uh, any other questions? Oh, OK. What goes into deciding between Oh, so um, mainly it's the applications. So if it's a stateless application, it would be sort of like a, um, it would you would use a model called deployment. Um, so there were like two methods. One's called deployment, one is called safe set. 
And so if you use the deployment model, it would back up to the remote and it would access it through the remote protocol. Yeah, from an application standpoint. Yeah, <laughs> correct, correct. Absolutely, you're right. Yeah, so the state is um, is persistent.